God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thanks so much for coming again this week. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18 and this time at verse 16. That's where we'll start today. We're going to be there today, and as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. And today we're continuing along in our journey through the book of Genesis. Remember, Hasefer Bereshit in Hebrew, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And last week we started the 18th chapter of Genesis, and as we continued in our study through the life of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and the father of all who believe in the Jewish Mashiach, Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, as you would say in English, the Jewish Messiah. And today I'd like to talk to you about standing in the gap. You know, as we've looked at the life of Abraham, we've seen that Abraham was a man who talked to God. He was a man who listened to God. That's important too. Remember, in prayer you listen as much as you talk, or even more so, because after all, God has a lot more to say than we do. And in fact, Abraham waited to see what God would want him to do in life, and he depended on God to guide him and lead him in life. Now, that's a smart way to live. After all, God knows everything. He knows what's going on in your life and all around you. He even knows the future. So he knows where to put you today to keep you out of trouble tomorrow. And he knows how to rescue you from the trials that you get into, even the trials that you bring upon yourself. And since Abraham was a man who talked to God, he knew that he could bring all of his cares to the Lord. He knew that God loved him and was faithful to care for him each new day. So Abraham brought all of his concerns and requests to the Lord. But Abraham's thoughts were not just about his own life. That would be a selfish focus in life. No, Abraham was a man who cared about others as well. That's the heart of God. He wanted people who would love him with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength, and that would love their neighbors as themselves. Remember in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham set aside the danger to his own life, and he went to rescue his nephew Lot, who had been kidnapped by the foreign foreign kings who had invaded all the plains. Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plains were. They had taken all the spoil, but then they had taken all the people too. And Lot was captured, kidnapped by these four kings. And even though these four kings had mighty armies of thousands and thousands of trained soldiers, Abraham knew that God was on his side. And even in his older age, he went after those armies, and in the nighttime, he and 318 of his trained servants surprised those armies. God gave him the victory, and he brought back his nephew Lot and the others. He was a man who cared about other people. That's what I'm saying. He's a man who lift up the safety and well-being of others to the Lord. He prays for others. He prays that God would guide them and protect them as well. Now, that's what we're going to be seeing as we go through our message for this week. So let's look at chapter 18 this week, starting in the second part of chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. 
And it says, Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him. Look at this now. We're right coming on Father's Day right now in America. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, you may remember from last week, we saw how the Lord had spoken to Abraham about the promised child, Isaac. Remember, that's how we say Isaac in Hebrew, Bevrit in Hebrew. And God would be miraculously bringing this promised child <clears throat> into Abraham and Sarah's life in nine months. He said, according to the time of life, and that would be nine months, he would be bringing this child into uh, Abraham and Sarah's life. Well, they told them that when these three men appeared to Abraham at the first of chapter 18, and Abraham was standing at the door of the tent, you may remember from last week, and he looked up and he saw these three men, it said. But then as he talked to them, the Lord himself gave Abraham the promise of Isaac, who was to come in only nine more months from then. But then, now that after all of that talk is going on, they're going on to Sodom, as they stated at the first of chapter 18, to see if the sins of Sodom were really as, as great and terrible as the cry that had come up before the Lord God. So in the prayers and cries of people, uh, you know, lamenting and have been sorrowful and praying for the deliverance of the people of Sodom from this great sin that they were in, God Himself doesn't just take the words for the angels and the cries of the prayers. Yes, He values those. Yes, He knows that those are true. But now He's about to do something so great in judging Sodom and Gomorrah and all the plains, in fact, that he wants to come down for himself and see it firsthand. And so he becomes a man. We'll talk about that in a little bit. There's a lot of controversy going on in Orthodox Jewish circles about if God could be a man. I'll simply say it like the Bible says it. Is anything too hard for God? But now after talking about Isaac, we go through these verses where he sends the people, sends the men on their ways. And we see that the other two men go on ahead. The other two angels, we're going to find out, is what they are. For when they go into Sodom, before judging it, and they will appear to Lot, and then they will strike the people of Sodom with blindness because those people are trying to literally rape these angels. They appear to be men. And so they're doing their hideous, hideous sexual perversion sins and trying to uh, subdue these angels so that they can have carnal relations with them. But they didn't know that they were angels. But then these angels blinded these evil men with light and then took Lot and his family out of there before they destroyed the city. These are very, very powerful angels. 
and God has become with them. But now these two men walk on ahead, the two angels walk on a way going towards Sodom, and Abram is right before the Lord. He's standing before the Lord. And Abraham has something on his mind. He wants to talk to the Lord about something. In fact, he wants to stand in the gap for those in Sodom, specifically for Lot and his family and other people who belong to Abraham's family. And then God says to, to Abraham as he's standing there, he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? He hasn't told him that he's going to destroy Sodom yet. But God is on his way to Sodom for some reason, and now he's about to tell Abraham. And he says, shall I hide what I'm doing from Abraham? He respects Abraham. He knows that he's going to be a great and mighty nation. A nation will come from him. And because Abraham was a great leader that he would command his children and his household after him, God's about to reveal to Abraham what he's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now this point is vital. God's purpose is not gossip. God's purpose is confiding in Abraham as a friend. Not to satisfy Abraham's curiosity. God wanted to do something in Abraham's life that he will reveal to him. And we're going to see that what Abraham does in his response to God is basically it does something in Abraham's life and shows God what kind of a heart Abraham has. We already said it. A heart more than just for himself, a heart for others. And so it said in Genesis 18, verse 20 and 21, God tells Abraham that if he sees Sodom and Gomorrah are worthy of judgment, he's going to judge them. And it says in verses 20 to 21, And the Lord said, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, very serious, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come against it, the outcry that's come to me. And if not, then I'll know. He's saying, if the outcry was not right, then I'll know and I'll be merciful to them. But now they've had all of this time for God's mercy and they did not repent. Over and over again, God's given them chances and they still did not repent. And so God is about to do some serious judgment here and he's going to go down there and see if it's like it, they all say it is. And the prayers that have come up before him, if it is, it's judgment time. God will wait for a person for a long time. The Bible says he's patient and he's long-suffering. And believe me, in my own life, I've made so many mistakes. I know firsthand that he is patient that he is long-suffering. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, where we call it the love chapter, where it says what godly love is. It says love is patient, love is kind, it's long-suffering. And, and it seeks mercy, it seeks kindness and goodness and forgiveness. Well, God is like that. That describes the love that God has for people. But after so many chances to turn, God has to judge wickedness. He has to judge sin. Otherwise, he cannot stop the sin if he just ignores it. So while he is merciful and while he is patient, while he is kind and wanting for men to repent and turn to him, eventually time runs out and God has to judge that sin. Now that's a lesson not only for the world in general, 
That's a lesson for you and I. If you don't know the Lord, you have an opportunity to know Him. Believe on His Son, Jesus the Messiah, and your sins will be forgiven, just like the blemish-free lamb. And God said, if you put the lamb, uh, the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the, on the doorpost of your house, then when I see the blood, I will pass over that house in what? He said, I will pass over that house in judgment. And that, my friend, my Jewish brother and sister, is the real reason we call it Passover because God would pass over the sins of that own house. And even the Jewish people had sins then, but they knew what God had asked them to do. Put the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorpost of their house, and when God saw the blood, He would pass over that house in judgment. So eventually, God's got to judge the sin. But then Abraham, in verse 23 to 26, starts talking to the Lord who is left there with him. Remember, the other two angels have gone on away, and now the one who is standing before him is the Lord. And we'll show exactly why we know that that's the case. It says, Then the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abram, Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you, Abraham says to the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be treated like the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will also spare the place for their sakes. Two things I want you to notice here. It says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham asked the Lord. Who is the judge of all the earth? It's the Lord God Almighty. He's the judge of all the earth. It's not an angel. It's the Lord God Almighty. Who is Abraham speaking to? It says, Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You're the Lord. You're the judge of all the earth. You do righteous. You're not going to treat the righteous as you would the wicked. You're going to treat the righteous differently than you would treat the wicked. And so he says, far be it from you to treat the righteous the same as you would treat the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what Abraham asked the Lord. And the Lord said, the Bible says right here in Genesis 18, Abraham is talking to the Lord. He calls him the Lord. He calls him the judge of all the earth. And then it says, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now, I want you to notice something here. God has taken on the form of a man and appeared to Abraham. That's why Genesis 18 started and said, Abraham looked up and saw three men. Two of them were angels, and one of them was the Lord. And now the two have walked on ahead towards Sodom, the two angels, and Abraham is left before the Lord. He calls him the Lord. He calls him the judge of all the earth. And then right there in that verse, in verse 26, it says, So the Lord said, So the Lord said, It wasn't an angel. It says, So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. 
Now here's why I'm mentioning this. There's some Orthodox Jews who think that this is impossible that God can become a man. They don't want to see that God can become a man because after all, that's what the Son of God did. God became a man, this man Yeshua, and died for the sins of mankind so that man could be restored to God. God made man in His image. Male and female, He created them. In the image of God, He created them. It said in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And so they don't want to think about Jesus, that He could have been God and God became a man, this man Jesus, Yeshua, in Hebrew, we would say. They don't want to address that fact that God could become a man because that seems to support what Christians believe that the Son of God was really God and He became a man to die for the sins of mankind. So they take issue with chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. And they go through some pretty amazing contortions and twisting of Scripture to try to make it like God really didn't become a man. And Abraham's not really talking directly to the Lord. In fact, as Abraham goes through this conversation with the Lord, and he goes from 50 down to 40, down to 30, down to 20, all the way down to 10 people negotiating with the Lord, He's humble before the Lord, but he's pleading for others. He's pleading that God would spare the righteous. He's pleading that God would save some of the people there and that he would not destroy the city if he found enough righteous within it. And so all during this conversation, you'll be able to see the verses. Abraham calls this one that he's talking to the Lord. And then the verses say, after Abraham talks to him, then the Lord says something. Now, if you're an Orthodox Jew and you believe that God can't become a man, and you, and you take issue with chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, you start making all sorts of strange interpretations to try to make this fit your doctrine. Well, here's an idea. Why don't you just forsake your doctrine and believe what the Bible says about it? Your doctrine is supposed to be based in the Scriptures, right? Are you saying that the Torah is lying? Are you saying that the Torah is wrong and that your doctrine is right instead? That's a dangerous position to take. Why don't you instead... Tell yourself, well, my doctrine must be wrong because the scripture says that God did become a man. So I guess God can become a man. And see, when you put God's word as higher than your word, when you put God's teaching as higher than what the rabbis say, then you are a follower of God instead of just a follower of men, you see. But God became a man. And now it says, the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now here's the contortions that the Jewish uh, Orthodox, some of them, go through. They say, well, uh, the only way that we can make this work to where God is not a man is when Abraham stands and asks this man the question, 
And then it says, the Lord said, Abraham is not listening to that man anymore. Instead, he runs way over here, far away, and looks up at the sky, and he's praying to the Lord. And then the Lord speaks to him from heaven. That's what's happening here. Oh, come on. You don't really believe that. All you're doing is trying to develop. You're trying to invent an explanation that supports your doctrine instead of what we call in Hebrew, hapishat. The pishat means the simple and obvious interpretation of Scripture. When you have to get away from the simple and obvious interpretation of Scripture, you're getting into trouble. All the Jewish rabbis and sages will tell you that the pishat is first and foremost true. The simple and obvious interpretation of Scripture is first and always true. But then if you try to get rid of the simple and obvious interpretation and replace it with something that just seems so weird that no one would ever think that when they're reading this, then you are working against God. Make no mistake, you are working against the Var Elohim, the Word of God. Don't work against God. Don't be found on the wrong side of this story. Believe the Word of God, even to the point that you will say that everything else I've been taught is wrong if it does not agree with what's in the Torah, with what's in the Bible. Then it says that the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham was still before the Lord. And so we see what's happening now. And Abraham starts his conversation with the Lord. He knew that God was merciful. Abraham has known the Lord for some time now. He's seen God's faithfulness in his own life. He's seen times when he made mistakes and God was forgiving of his mistakes. He's seen times when he went down to Egypt because he was afraid of the famine when God had called him to Canaan. God could have taken care of him in Canaan during the famine. In Moses, he made water to come from the rock. He rained down food from heaven for all of Israel, 1.2 to 2 million people. Amazing what God will do to care for his children. And Abraham knew that God could have taken care of him, but he had a moment of fear and he went down to Egypt. And then he lied about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife, just to protect his own life. And she almost was committing adultery because of Abraham's lie. But Abraham knew that God had mercy on him and that God forgave him and was still talking to him and was still blessing him. So now Abraham is saying, well, God, I know you're merciful because I see what you've done in my own life. The mercy you've given me, the forgiveness you've given me. And so now, Lord, I pray for your mercy upon those people down in Sodom. If you find 50 there, will you spare the place? And the Lord said, yes, I will. Then Abraham goes ahead in verses 27 through 33. And, and Abraham answered and said, Well, indeed, now I'm just dust and ashes, but yet I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. He's being humble. He's being bold in speaking to the Lord and asking for things that the Lord did not tell him to ask for. But in the same way, he's humbling himself. He's saying, I'm just dust. I'm just ashes, and here I am. I've taken upon myself to speak to you, the Lord. 
Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And the Lord said, If I find 45, I won't destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there's 40 found there. And so the Lord said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. God is very patient. He knows what's going on here. He can see where this is going, but he's very patient. And I think he's being thrilled that Abraham is speaking on behalf of other people, standing in the gap, praying to the Lord for their safety and benefit and welfare. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. Then Abraham said, please don't be angry, Lord, and I will speak. Suppose 30 is found there. And the Lord said, I will not judge it if I find 30 there. I won't destroy the city if I find 30 there. Then Abraham said, Indeed, now I take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Basically, what he's saying is, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm, I'm speaking to the Lord. I am not trying to negotiate, Lord. I'm just, I'm just seeing, you know, is it possible that you will save these people instead of destroy the city? Suppose 20 found are found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then look at what Abraham says. He said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak just one more time. Suppose only ten are found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, I love this story. It shows the heart of Abraham. It shows that Abraham was what we call an intercessor. An intercessor is a person who stands in the gap and praying for others. You mothers, you fathers, who have that young child who's gone astray and is out with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, has gotten into all sorts of trouble and everything, don't you get tired of praying for that child? Because God hears prayers and God answers prayers. Abraham was an intercessor. It was one who stands in the gap for others. Here's God's judgment right here. Here's the person deserving of judgment over here. And the intercessor walks in between them and says, God, please don't hurt them. Please be merciful to them, God. Yes, they're a sinner. I was a sinner, God. You saved me. You were merciful to me, God. Please be merciful to them. You see, that's the person who's standing between the judgment of God and the individual who deserves judgment. They walk in between it and say, God, please, please, Lord, remember your mercy that you showed me. Remember your goodness that you showed me. Remember the forgiveness that you extended to me. And Lord, give them that kind of mercy. Extend that kind of forgiveness to them, Lord. You don't give up on prayer. Prayer changes things. God answers prayers. Six words. Prayer changes things. God answers prayer. Don't you dare give up. God wants you to stand in the gap for others. He wants you to take your mind and your thoughts off of only yourself and to think of others. Pray for others. 
Don't just pray against others. Lord, look at what they did to me. Will you punish them for this, Lord? You judge them for this. No, God doesn't want that. God wants you to pray for your enemies and bless those who curse you. He causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. He wants you to be like him. You're his child now. He wants you to be like your heavenly father. And he extends mercy to all. So you pray for your enemies. Do good to those that do evil to you. And you will be children of your father in heaven. So Abraham continued his prayer. And notice that he's talking to the Lord the whole time. And God is telling him that he will not judge the place for the sake of 50, 40, 30, all down to 10. This is the judge of all the earth that God's talking, that, that Abraham is talking to. This is the Lord God himself. And it's not like those Jewish Orthodox people say. This is the Lord. And I know there's some Jewish Orthodox that believe that this was the Lord. And they have no problem with the fact that God could become a man. But some of those others who refuse to believe this, they say, how can God fit into the body of a man? Well, my friend, my Jewish brother and sister, <clears throat> for that reason, how can God fit into the universe? The universe is finite. God is infinite. So think about what you're saying. God is not like you. He doesn't have the limitations that you do. God is all-powerful. He is good. He loves us. And He knows the future. And He can do anything He wants. Remember what He said it early and, and earlier in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis when He was talking about the promised child and He heard Sarah laugh in her heart when, he, when the Lord said that she will have a child and she was 90 years of age. Remember what God said about that? I heard Sarah laugh. And then he asked Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll ask you, my Jew Jewish brother and sister, my Orthodox friend, my brother. We're Jewish, right? We believe that God is all-powerful, that He can do anything. I'll ask you, like the Lord asked Abraham regarding Sarah and what she laughed and said in her heart. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? You know the answer, and I know the answer. You don't need to ask your rabbi. You know the answer. Nothing is too hard for the God, for, for the Lord. Everything is possible for Him. There is nothing impossible to God. Remember that as you go through life. It'll change the way you go through life. It'll cause you to look up instead of down. It'll cause you to look to the horizon instead of looking back in the rearview mirror. Excuse me. At all the things that have happened to you. God wants to bless you. God wants to lead you. He wants to carry you on to bigger and greater things and stretch your faith as you go through life. There is nothing too hard that you could ask of the Lord. Nothing is too hard for God. And so we see Abraham wrapping up this conversation. And then the Lord moves on ahead. And Abraham returns to his place, it said in the last verse of this chapter. And so basically we see these Passages where it said that Abraham would uh, go back to his place and the Lord went on to, towards Sodom. And we see that God stopped at 10. Or was it really God who stopped at 10? 
It was really Abraham who stopped at 10. Abraham thought 10 was a reasonable number. He thought that God, if he found 10 righteous people, would have to spare the city. Sadly, Lot had been there all of those years, all of this time, and he wasn't able to save anyone, to bring anyone to the Lord. He had his wife, two daughters himself, four people. It doesn't show that he had a testimony with any of the other people. Remember, like we said last week, first he pitched his tent towards Sodom because it looked desirable. Then he lived in Sodom, and next thing you know, he's sitting in the gates of Sodom, which means that he was one of the leaders of the city. And yet for all that, he never used his influence to try to bring people to God. Instead, he couldn't even find 10 or 6 other people to bring it up to 10. And there were only 4, his two daughters, his wife, and himself. That's it. Even his son-in-laws we're going to see next week. They laughed at him when he talked about God. When he talked about judgment, they laughed at Lot. No one took his testimony serious because he had already compromised his testimony. He had said he was a man of God, but then he just lived like the world. There's people there that do that today, right? Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you think, well, if I know the right words to say, then I'm okay. Everyone in, in the church, everyone who's a believer in God will then think that I'm okay. But my friend, it's how you live. It's the thoughts in your heart. It's the things your hands and feet do. It's the words that your mouth says. If you were accused of being a believer in God, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Sadly, for a lot of people, there would not be. Lot was that kind of a person. He didn't have a good testimony among the other people. They thought he was just like them. He was one of them. They accepted him. He didn't want to be different because he didn't want to be persecuted. What about you? Jesus said, If you are bold before men and proclaim me before men, then I will proclaim you before all the angels of heaven and before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me in this world before men, I will deny you in heaven. You don't want to be in a situation to where you are denied everlasting life because you were ashamed of Jesus, the Messiah. You have to make your decision right here and now, my Jewish brother and sister, my Christian brother and sister. If you don't know the Lord, no matter what uh, area you came from, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, if you do not know the Lord, the decision that you have to make is one of making a stand. Will you stand before men and stand for God and say, yes, I believe in Him, in His Son, Jesus Christ? Or will you deny Him and you yourself be denied trying to enter the kingdom of heaven and you be turned away? You have to make the decision. The decision is really yours. Now we go on down and we have read through the end of this chapter and we see that Abraham was a man who cared for others. He was a man who was an intercessor in prayer. He didn't have to go out and be an activist. 
He didn't have to raise money for this or that. He didn't have to go out and preach over a microphone to somebody. He just did this in prayer between him and the Lord. He was a man who knew he could talk to God, who come boldly before the throne of grace, even though he was just dust, just a man, dust and ashes. God had invited all who believe on him to come before his throne boldly as children and that God, our Heavenly Father, would listen to him and God would listen to us. So Abraham used his relationship with God to stand in the gap and ask for God to protect and deliver others. He didn't only think about himself. No, he used his prayer time to also intercede for others. What does your prayers look like? Are your prayers always just asking for yourself? Are you taking time to thank God for what He's already done? Are you using time in your prayer to listen to God? Are you using time in your prayer to pray for others and to stand in the gap for others? And you yourself probably had someone at some time standing in the gap for you, holding you up before the Lord. <clears throat> that God would keep you, that God would deliver you, that God would save you, that you would know the peace and the contentment and the joy of the Lord in your life and be saved and have peace in Him. Have you let God make you a new person? Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you, and He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in. He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all those past failures away, and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity today to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You could pray something like this and you can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I'm looking for that kind of peace in my life, God. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ is Lord. Please forgive all my sins, Lord. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'll tell you something. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart already. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His words. Talk to Him in prayer every day. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.